You're listening to another episode of Chirps, a St. Louis Cardinals podcast for Birds on the Black. I'm Sarah. He's Alex. And yes, we're still here, even if the Cardinals are still silent. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Chirps. We are coming to you one month from when spring training games are scheduled to begin. And yes, that sounds as crazy to me as it probably sounds to you. Not just because I'm sitting here looking at seven inches of snow on my back deck, but because the possibility of real baseball in what is a continuing pandemic problem still seems a little bit bizarre to me. So I'm saying we're a month away from spring training games, but Alex, I feel like I don't know if I should say that out loud at this point. <laughs> well, you know how I feel about spring training games anyway. So uh, the fact that you say we're a month away from from them starting totally took me off guard. I, I, I didn't even realize that was the case, but that makes sense. We're in late January now. So I guess we are close to that time that pitchers and catchers are going to report. Is that happening, I guess? It's that, happening. That, that's be a it's thing happening where, in a couple okay. weeks. Yeah. All right. Okay. At least that's what they say now. I mean, we've all seen this play out that they say one thing and two days later it changes and there's still so much up in the air as far as how the season's even going to play out. And look, they all want the season to start because players and ownership alike want a 162 game regular season so they get all their money. We know that that's that's the case, but we all want to watch baseball. We just want to watch it without feeling bad about the risk that they're putting themselves or other people in. So hopefully that all plays out without too many additional risk factors. But Alex, while we're still waiting on any sort of roster news from the Cardinals, one thing we did find out this week is that they are planning to have limited numbers of fans in the stands for those spring training games, as well as according to reports from Derek Gould, that they have a plan in place for the possibility of limited attendance, at least opening day for the Cardinals in St. Louis. I would presume that would then be intended to carry on throughout the season. Of course, all of that subject to change and in St. Louis subject to approval. But how do you feel about all that, Alex? Because it's been a long time since we've seen real life humans in the stands at baseball games, at least in the regular season. We saw a little bit of it in the postseason. But other sports are doing it. Other sports, other teams, other cities, other leagues are trying it. I guess I'm not surprised that baseball is trying to push forward with that. Well, it is outside. So that's helpful. I guess I would have to read what the people who actually know what they're talking about have to say about it. (laughs) Those people are few and far between, (laughs) by the way. (laughs) Those people are not not me. Uh, Yeah, not us. We're not those people, so... (laughs) I would see no reason to go to a baseball game while assuming conditions are going to be as we expect. Uh, you know, we can watch these games on TV and stuff like that. But in terms of where it falls on the scale of risky behavior, if they can actually execute it well, having people spaced out outside doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world. I, I was surprised watching some of the football games this weekend, and and maybe it was just kind of like more of an illusion on TV, but those stadiums look pretty full. I, I don't know yeah. if you like the, the game in green Bay and the game in Kansas city. And, and maybe uh, that's just kind of what it looks like when a stadium is 
that 25% capacity and it, and it looks more full than it actually is, or I don't even know what capacity they were at. But assuming they can execute it well, then, and that it gets a blessing from the people who should be giving these sorts of blessings, then yeah, sure, I say go for it. I, I think there are still issues with like, you know, you still, people might still have to use restrooms and I don't know what, uh, you, you, I don't know how you, how you deal with that. Um, other than just say like, be careful, you know, stand six feet apart. I I'd be lying if I said, I don't, I, I, I kind of like the idea of being able to watch baseball with people in the stands. I, I want to accelerate our path to, uh, things feeling normal. Uh, if we could, <laughs> um, even though that's, uh, probably not the right thing to do right now. So I, yeah, I'm fine with it, I guess. Uh, again, assuming they actually do it because they got the right blessing and not because like, we really need these, uh, we really need these, this beer money. We really need these, uh, ticket sales, all that. Right. Yeah, I would say the same. I think there's a part of me that is excited by the prospect of the option, right, to go to a baseball game, to do it responsibly, to be safe about who you're there with, or if you're there at all because of your own risks. The concessions, the concourses that get tight, the the mm-hmm. public restroom thing, that all bothers me a little bit just in terms of how do you manage that in a safe way i think once people are in the stands sitting in their little pods of two four or six people according to the reports about these spring training ticket sales that's manageable as long as you're the as long as the people in those groups are are responsible with how they're doing things in in life as well so yeah i think it's possible to pull it off we've seen other like i said other leagues other sports do it I do think there continues to be a risk that maybe doesn't need to be there if you were trying to be as safe as possible. But if that were the case, they wouldn't be charging ahead with spring training anyway, as has been requested by the powers that be in Arizona. And Major League Baseball is just sort of doing it anyway. So we'll see what happens with that. But I agree with you. I think it would be nice to get to a point where some semblance of normalcy even if it's a, a modified version of that can return and baseball would be one of those things that we, I think as a, a fan base, which is a large portion of the population would feel really good about that. Okay. We can do these things, take a little bit of a breath and do them safely as long as those things can be done safely. And I guess to some degree that's still to be determined, but that is going to happen. And as I said, Plans are in the works for opening day tickets as well. I think I saw like 28% capacity, something to that effect of the possible tickets sold for games during the season in St. Louis. So we'll see how all of that plays out. We're we're still waiting to see what is approved and what is allowed, but that would be, it would be nice to not see the weird Fox sports virtual people in the stands this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm definitely over, over that. And I'm, I'm kind of over the cardboard cutouts yeah. as well. Although I think they're uh, a nice, uh, pleasant thing to do. Let's say you could go to a game where it's capacity is at 25%, 28%, whatever. Um, and somehow you, you know up front that it's going to be safe, meaning you are not going to be spreading the virus and you're not going to get it yourself. Would would you want to go 
meaning like does it would it I, I it would still kind of feel like a weird event to me like 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 yeah. half a baseball game the the being in a uh when i go to a baseball game i have this expectation that you know i'm going to be around a bunch of people and you know i'm gonna be waiting in lines and i'm going to be doing this i'm gonna be doing that it would still not quite feel 100 like a baseball experience maybe that would change once the game starts and you you stop noticing those little things but it would be very interesting yeah it would definitely feel strange i think that in a lot of ways, it's like many things we've adapted over the last year or so that at first we were like, oh, I have to do this this way. I have to, you know, wear a mask to the grocery store or whatever it is. And now we're kind of like, yeah, of course you wear a mask to the grocery store. That's right. just what you do. So I think at some point it would, it would be a little bit like that. But I will say I'm probably not the best person to ask about this because I'm the person that goes to a baseball game and is like, please don't talk to me. I just want to watch baseball. <laughs> So I'm not necessarily there for the uh, social impact of the crowds as much as I am the like personal experience of being at the game. So I I would, if that was a a possibility that it was a guaranteed, I can be there and be safe and not be harming anyone else, then I would still likely thoroughly enjoy the experience. The only thing for me that I think it would, it would impact is if it was a big game or an important moment. And this is where I noticed it the most with the fake crowd noise last year, right? Is when, you know, the Cardinals are down by a run in the eighth inning and the bases are loaded and there's only one out and Yadi or Molina's at the plate or whatever it is, right? You don't have that sort of energy, that sort of buzz when there's just not that many people. So mm-hmm. to me, that's where I would notice it more than anything else. But I'm sort of a weirdo who doesn't actually like being close to many people. <laughs> so I may not be the best person. Uh, to have that sort of perspective on what would be missing from that experience. I was surprised uh, of the three sports I watched the most, uh, probably certainly baseball, um, basketball and probably football. I was surprised that I think the lack of crowd actually hurts baseball more than those other two. Like you can watch a football game and really forget there's no crowd there. I think a lot of that has to do with just the camera. Mm, you know yeah. when when it's on the field you're not really seeing the crowd anyway if they pump yeah. in that fake noise you know it really doesn't matter all that much it's not until for whatever reason like if there's a touchdown or a camera pans to the stands that are like oh yeah there's no one there but baseball and, and basketball too the action you see this thing i mean every every play in baseball begins with seeing people right behind home plate and stuff like that so it, it's it's really more of a distraction than the other sports. And I thought it would be the opposite because, because the fans aren't as on top of the action like they are in basketball or mm. football. Um, but I, I really, it, it, I really do notice the lack of fans more than I do in other sports. Uh, I, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just making an observation out loud. Yeah, I think, well, you know, it's that kind of off season. Uh, no, but I, I do think, I also think that what I have noticed is that there's something to the, I'm going to use the word pace and I don't mean it in terms of (laughs) the pace of play in baseball is so terrible, but just when you're watching basketball, it's kind of constantly back and forth. There's not as much time to just stop and notice who's there or who isn't in baseball. There is at least a little bit of a pause more often than in some other sports football, not so much maybe because there's, there's some definite gaps in play uh, in a football game that maybe aren't as noticeable as they are in baseball. But I think mm-hmm. that's part of it for me too, is that if my eye is constantly watching something else, 
then I'm not as drawn to what is either in the stands or isn't in the stands. And this is another thing that I just sort of thought about in the moment. Um, in other sports, those other two sports, there's not as much immediate proximity to like foul balls, right? So there, you're you're always sort of within the range of the actual object from the game, the field of play going into the stands. And when there's no people around, I think it's more noticeable in that regard than in, in those other sports too. So I also don't know where I'm going with that, but these no, are the things that you think sense. about no, in a definitely. weird off season following an even more weird actual season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, the only reason we're even talking about this right now is because the Cardinals are, are continuing to uh, give us nothing to talk about. Uh. Yeah, well, we do have one thing we can talk about. Thanks to our good friend, Matt Whitener, and a tweet from him earlier in the day. So here's what his tweet entailed. Alex, I believe, retweeted it. I will after we finish recording this as well so that you can see what I'm talking about. Uh, it's the MLB offseason spending by division to date. So as of the 26th of January when we're recording this, leading the way, the AL East with $307 million, all the way down to the AL West at eight, uh, $83 million. Of course, in last place by division, money spent thus far. The NL Central, keep in mind that that second to last team, 83 million. Second to last division, I should say. The NL Central, 3.7. 3.7 million dollars spent this offseason for the entire division compared to everyone else in baseball. Alex, we know that the Cardinals have been silent. We know that we've watched the Cubs sort of dismantle things and the Reds in some somewhat similar fashion do the same. But those numbers, I saw that this morning and was my my first thought was, I wonder when the last time would have been that an entire division in baseball seemingly as of January 26th just kind of threw their hands up and went, mm, no, thanks. It's bizarre. I can't stress how embarrassing this tweet is for for a bunch of people who probably won't feel embarrassed by it. Uh, but everyone who the powers that be in the NL Central, I mean, they've spent one percent of what has been spent in the AL East. Uh, it and the gap between them and the second to uh, second to last AL West is enormous, and. I was not aware it was this staggering until I saw this tweet. And I, I, I just keep staring at it and being like, this is just a joke. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess if there's one nice thing to have to have about this, it's that like, well, I don't want to hear any owners in the NL Central specifically claiming that COVID hit them especially hard. Because <laughs> um, the teams in the AL Central, you know, the same region, um, seem to be spending okay. And teams basically... in every other part of the country seem to be spending just fine. So clearly this is some motivated somewhat by what the other teams in the division are doing. And that's like, like the exact opposite of an arms race. I don't know what, what you would even call it. It's just, it's really embarrassing. It's, it makes me mad. It's like, 
why should I not just like be a Nats fan this year? Yeah. <laughs> like this is supposed to be like some sort of transactional relationship where, uh, where the team tries to be good and therefore I automatically like them no matter what. Yeah. But I don't feel as though they're holding up their end of the bargain. And it's, and it's not, we do, and we're pretty forgiving as fans, yeah. I think. I mean, we, we watch, we'll watch a lot of, bad baseball we don't have to say they don't have to be good every single year but there has to be like this at least you have to pretend to care yeah like yeah like you don't even have to like it should be you you have to care like that should be the minimum i'm, I'm saying you have to at least pretend to care right. uh, like and they can't even do that this is yeah. this is and again things could change very quickly but this is just looking at that is I, I'm, it's honestly, I'm, it's left me almost speechless because it's it's crazy. Yeah, that that was my reaction to it as well. Just like, how is this? How is this even possible? And here's the thing: I, I've seen it already. I know we'll hear it more. I've said it, it uh, of similar instances in the past where you know you put two equally mediocre or worse teams against each other, and you're likely going to get a competitive game, right? But if there's a game between the Pirates and the Cardinals in July that is a, a one nothing pitcher's duel, that doesn't mean both of those teams are good. It means there is some level of equity between their talent level, but that doesn't mean if you stack them up against the other actually good teams in baseball that they're going to, to be able to be competitive, right? That's the idea. Well, they might be competitive in the sense that they're all playing at the same low level, but that doesn't mean that the competitiveness comes in with the organization, like you said, actually trying even a little bit. Right. It's so wild. It is wild. Uh, I'm, I keep assuming like a shoe's going to drop eventually. And, <laughs> and I mean, the fact that Colton Wong is still sitting out there for um for the cardinals to try to bring back which i I, maybe that's wishful thinking on my part but i I mean the cubs could use a colton wong like the fact that the cubs aren't trying to get to get colton wong for even just like a pillow contract or something uh it's really i've never i don't think i've seen anything like this before and it's to my recollection yeah it's very strange in that sense right that they haven't done anything but neither is anyone else. And it's not like there aren't options out there as far as talent they could add. It's not as if, you know, according to what we've heard, there haven't been conversations with the likes of Adam Wainwright and Yadier Molina, but it's just not like nobody wants to, to be the first to move or no one really wants to move at all. And they're only going to have to, they're only going to do so if they have to, I don't know. It's so strange. I would love to be, uh, sort of a fly on the wall uh, when some of these conversations are happening between teams, right? Who call about individual players or who the Cardinals call about or whatever it might be, assuming they're making calls at this point, which who knows, mm-hmm. but it's such, it's such a strange thing to see. Look, even last off season wasn't particularly busy for most of the teams in the NL Central. And then all of a sudden the Reds jumped in and were like, hey guys, we're going to try to make ourselves better, even if no one else does. And to be fair, it didn't really work out that well for them, but they made the effort. And at times they were 
listed as the favorite to win the division, mostly because they were the only team making an effort. Now, I realize that that could be used by the likes of John Mozeliak or others to say, okay, well, making all those moves didn't really help them. So we don't need to just go out and make moves to make moves, which I understand. But I uh, similarly can't remember when it was just like every team in the division, as I said, just kind of threw their hands up and was like, I don't think we really want to try this year, which is unfortunate for the players on those teams, right? Because those guys have to come to work every day anyway, and they want to do the best that they, they can to put a winning team on the field and do their part to turn their organization into a winning, give them a winning season. But they can only do so much with the talent that they have. I feel for the the on-field managers and coaches as well who have to come to work every day and then answer for why their team isn't winning when they were only given so much to work with and then they have to try to make magic with that. Yeah, way back in the day, I used to, uh, I was more of a fan of hockey than I am now. And I was a fan of the Chicago Blackhawks and they had a horrible owner. His kids now own the team, uh, but his name was Bill Wirtz. And he he basically had a quote that said something along the lines of, um, why would I want to win a Stanley Cup? It costs too much. Uh, you know and, and he and he ran the team accordingly i sort of feel like that's the attitude going on here and i and i'm always amazed when i see that maybe i just don't understand kind of this like uber rich brain mindset but aren't these people just a, a little bit competitive don't they want to win and especially when something looks so e- like if you're the ricketts family yeah. don't you want after all the bad things people have been saying about you, wouldn't you like? Do you have any pride at all? <laughs> like, do, like, you know, and I, and I, I, when I say the Ricketts family, I, I say that for all five of the the five families, uh, whoever they are, <laughs> um, and then Central here. Uh, like, are you not embarrassed? Have you no like? Well, like I maybe I'm just wired differently. Maybe we're both wired differently. But I would want to try and win this thing you know i wonder if because what i was uh, about to say is that i think you have to be somewhat competitive to eventually be that kind of wealthy right you have to to see yourself in terms of i want to be better than the other guy but i wonder if there's a difference in the the version of competitiveness right right? where we think of it right we think of it in terms of aren't you competitive that you want the product on the field to be good enough that you win a world series title but perhaps their level their version of competitiveness is oh i want to you know out maneuver the other guy and get more for less so that i end up saving more money or making more money or not spending and then looking like a fool because i spent on something that didn't work out i think maybe it's just a different category of competitiveness that has nothing to do with the actual sport <laughs> and has more to do with kind of the chess match between the ownership families, if you will, Mm -hmm. in light of, okay, well, I don't want to move if they don't move, because then I step out on on the the limb by myself. And if I win, then that risk looks really smart. But if I lose, then that risk makes me look like a bad business person. And the last thing 
a very wealthy human wants to do is look like a bad business person. I'm assuming because I've never been in that position myself, but I'm just trying to find some sort of logic behind why you wouldn't look at this division as it is right now and go, guys, if we spend like a tiny bit of money, we can win the division easily and then make more money in postseason baseball than we would if we just sort of wait around until next year. I don't know. It's it's wild. And I, I, I keep using that word because I don't understand how that logic can make sense to an entire group of people in a room who are making those decisions. Yeah. And I feel as though the fans aren't even asking for all that much. Like Like the five teams in NL Central are all in good baseball towns. You give the Brewers a decent team and those fans show up. Uh, obviously Wrigley um, and in Chicago. Uh, remember when the Pirates were in that wild card game against the Reds in 2013? That crowd was unlike anything I'd seen in a long time. Just electric. And they pretty much since then, or the most recent years since then, have done everything they can to suck the life out of every single one of those fans. Yeah. It's it, when they sit in this picturesque stadium, you know, along this great skyline, one of, you know, it's universally called one of the best stadiums in baseball, always in the top three, um, if not number one. And they're doing pretty much everything they can to tell fans, do not come here. <laughs> like, there's no reason to come here and watch this team. It is awful. And, I, I can't really say much more than that. Like you said, I, I keep just, I'm speechless. It's bananas. It's just, it's unlike anything I recall seeing. And yet, Alex, here we are <laughs> talking about it because we're the weirdos that actually want to enjoy watching baseball and want to enjoy watching the St. Louis Cardinals, even though they're making it very difficult heading into this upcoming season. So assuming that once actual games start, meaning not spring training, because we know Alex doesn't care about any of that. Why will you watch this team? Will you watch? And if you will, why, what will bring you to the couch to watch this team? Yeah, of course I'm going to (laughs) watch. First, I don't know him foremost, but first it sounds like this is going to be Mike Shannon's last year. I adore Mm -hmm. Mike Shannon. And so I, will feel like it's my duty to tune in to Mike Shannon um, for the home games as often as I can. And if I can sync that up with radio and television, then all the better. Now, why should I watch this team? Uh, that All that aside, all I can say is I think baseball still does a very good job of just selling itself, um, even if the Cardinals are being stupid. Uh, Shoptal wrote something, I guess that was yesterday, so Monday, and towards the end, it really got me like pumped up, like, hell yeah, baseball, I'm really excited. Um, And I haven't felt that way very often about baseball lately. But the reason why I'm so easily pulled back in is because this sport, at least to me, more than the others, and I probably like basketball as much as I like baseball, but baseball more than the others I can really get taken in by the history of the game, uh, what has happened, what happened in this game 50, 60 years ago. You know, I, I recently returned to Tyler Kepner's book, which is called K, um, A History of Baseball in 10 Pitches, which is one of the best baseball books I have ever read. It's executed so well. 
um, around talking about 10 pitches. And he basically weaves in all these anecdotes and stories about the history of baseball in a really, in a way that he almost makes it seem so effort effortless, but it's such an amazing book because baseball has so many awesome stories that come along with it. And no other sport quite does that like no other sport do i really care about all these guys about like these players who played 50 years ago as much as i do baseball um now when like a giant of the game and say basketball passes away then i i feel that on some level but i don't quite have like this attachment to teams and players from years ago and that and i want to constantly be reading about quite like i do with baseball like baseball somehow still has that and it surprises me because even the, the current game in its in its version, I don't I don't necessarily love. I, I do think there's a pace of pay pro, pay yeah, excuse me pace of play problem. I do think there aren't enough you know balls being you know put in play and all that. Um, but still, it's still just an awesome thing to know every night you can at some point turn on the TV and there's going to be baseball on and just the not to sound like so many ridiculous people who who whimsically talk about baseball but just the sounds of the game you know all that stuff the game still really sells itself even when the people in charge are really trying not to sell it and so i guess you know that's why why i'll watch and i hate to say it i'm gonna watch because the cardinals are going to be competitive in this stupid division. <laughs> I mean, they better be, you know. If, yeah, I if would the, think so. If the Cubs were were out there spending a ton of money and clearly going to be a juggernaut, and then the other four teams were, were just acting like they are right now, then I would really be deflated. But the fact that all, I mean, what are, are they colluding? I don't know what they're doing, but if they're all being like, hey, if, if we're all terrible, then idiot fans like Alex will still tune in because he thinks his team has a chance. So, haha, I guess the joke really is on me. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's another reason why I'm going to tune in because I love this team. I love this franchise, even when they don't want me to. So I will still be there, but still, shame on them. Uh, give me more reasons to be excited and to love this team. I agree. Yeah. How about you? I think one of the things that I love about baseball, and this is why I think we've had some conversations about kind of the marketing side of how baseball promotes its game. And I think one of the things that I get frustrated with in that regard is that I think there are some incredible players, incredible athletes, incredible stories that don't necessarily get the attention that would draw more fans to them. So one of the things that I will always love and will always be interested in is the more you watch one team, the more you get to know things about those players, right? I don't know them on a personal level. Most of them, I have covered some of them in the minor leagues and and that always brings me back because I want to see how they're doing and how they're succeeding. But I'm invested in the stories, even of the players who are going to be left there, despite anyone else that is or is not brought in, right? I'm invested in what happens with Alex Reyes. I'm invested in the comeback of Jordan Hicks. I'm invested in seeing whether or not Dylan Carlson actually lives up to the hype. I'm invested in these players and what their career can become or will become. And that is exciting every night regardless of what the other things are that the organization is or isn't doing. So that's one of the things that will keep me in front of my TV watching the game to see what they're doing and how they're doing. And 
you know, we could go up and down the list there, right? Jack Flaherty, I'm invested in seeing if he becomes the commanding ace that I think we all expect him to be. I'm invested in seeing if Carlos Martinez makes anything of the immense talent that he has. I think there are some storylines that I'm a little bit tired of with this team, like the merry-go-round of outfielders. (laughs) Don't really care that much anymore about a lot of that. Not that I'm, I, I don't want those players to all be successful. I just am not personally invested in that as a storyline for this team anymore. I think the Matt Carpenter, I'm finally going to be great again storyline, not something I'm particularly invested in, but there are enough stories with this team that whatever they do in the division, I think you're right. If they don't, <laughs> if they aren't at least competitive in the division, oh boy, that's it's going to get tough to watch at some point because that's going to mean they're playing really, really bad baseball. But there are enough pieces of who the team is, who the players are, what their career paths have been, that I'm going to be invested in it, whether I whether I want to be or not, I already am. And that's something that will bring me back night after night to see what they can do with themselves. And that sometimes I wish I didn't care as much. <laughs> But here we are, and it's what we do, and that way we'll at least have something to talk about that hopefully isn't just complaining about the front office all the time. But no promises. <laughs> yeah, because we can't do this every week. No. <laughs> we can't just talk about, like, should they be going to games during COVID? All right, next, let's talk about how they haven't done anything. I mean, we yeah. have to have yeah. something to talk about. Yeah, so, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just start playing games so at least yeah, we can talk about that. Yeah, and um, you, you said something that made me wonder. Like, I wonder if Carlos Martinez is even going to be on this team come April, yeah. but we'll see, you know. I don't yeah, know. I, I don't mean, know. That's one of those things that I'm a little surprised he hasn't been traded yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but also there hasn't been a ton of movement anywhere, despite despite Matt Whitener's uh, little infographic there that would indicate there's been movement everywhere else just not in the NL Central. Uh, and we'll see what happens, you know, as January is the new December, and I don't know what that makes February, but we'll see. <laughs> We're almost there, so we'll see what ends up happening there. Alex, I feel like we just keep complaining about this team, which is justified, but instead of going round and round in circles there, how about we wrap up with a quick chirp of the week? I think that sounds good. Um, you know, as we all know, uh, Henry Aaron died last week, and it was just a as huge and crushing of a loss to baseball on so many levels as as you really can't imagine. And and we've had a lot of them lately. I don't know if you saw that tweet, Tara, that said something like, within the last nine months, something like thirteen percent of of living members of the Baseball Hall of Fame have passed away. And that that's yeah, just an amazing stat. And you know, this one hit the baseball world obviously hard, uh, just a giant of a person. And I don't know if you saw the video with, uh, I, I believe it was Sandy Koufax and Bob Gibson talking about Aaron and basically how tough he was to get out. And uh, Gibson talked about how he didn't like to pitch him inside just because of how quick um Aaron was with his wrist, how quickly he could turn on a, on a fastball. And so I did decide to look up how Hank Aaron did against, uh, against Bob Gibson. Cause I was curious after reading all this and believe it or not, Bob Gibson did really well against Henry Aaron. 
But he was like the only Cardinal pitcher to ever do well against Henry Aaron. I'll get to that in a second. But Henry Aaron faced Bob Gibson 180 times, and he only hit, uh, this is a slash line, he only hit 215, 278, 423 um, with eight home runs. So he actually did very, very well against, against Henry Aaron. Uh, Aaron only had a 701 OPS against him. Now, though, I was curious, though, because I started thinking, like, I wonder who has the most home runs ever against the St. Louis Cardinals. Because it has to be either Henry Aaron or Willie Mays. Mm. Uh, Unless there's some, like, dark horse candidate, like, say someone like Ernie Banks, who hit a lot fewer home runs than those guys, but, you know... Still, you know, he played against. They the all Cardinals came against. Yeah, the yeah, yeah, he played. Yeah, yeah, or you know, or or, or Ramos Ramirez. You know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it is in fact Henry Aaron. Hmm. Henry Aaron hit ninety-one home runs against the Cardinals. That is more than anyone in the history of baseball. And I'll go ahead and read you the top ten. Um, and I and I'll start with ten and go up to one, even though I just told you who who one is. But Hank Sauer hit forty-eight home runs against the Cardinals. Uh, number nine, Mike Schmidt also hit 48 home runs against the Cardinals. Eight, Ralph Kiner, 50 home runs against the Cardinals. Uh, Gil Hodges comes in, at num- comes in at number seven. He hit 57 home runs against the Cardinals. Duke Snyder, number six, he hit 60 home runs against the Cardinals. Here's Banks. Ernie Banks hit 64 home runs against the Cardinals. He's fifth. Eddie Matthews is fourth. He hit 66 home runs against the Cardinals. Uh, Mel Ott, same. He also hit 66 home runs against the Cardinals. Willie Mays is second. He hit 79 home runs against the Cardinals, and that leaves Aaron atop the list. 91 home runs against the Cardinals. And like I said, it wasn't just home runs he was hitting against the Cardinals. He hit them very well. He had a career slash line. uh, Where is it? I had it right here. Okay, 308, 378, 576. So he had a 953 OPS against the Cardinals in almost 1,600 plate appearances. So in about... Two and a half full seasons of plate appearances. Um, you know, if, if you want to look at it that way, he he hit the crap. Um, he hit the crap out of the ball against the Cardinals. Of course, he hit the crap out of the ball against everyone. So that that should not surprise any of us. Um, and yeah, and this one hit hard. I remember when I was little and getting into baseball. There were several names who were like these first top tier legends, almost like tall tale type figures, and they were mm-hmm. DiMaggio. Mantle, Ted Williams, I think you can throw Stan Musial in there, uh, Henry Aaron, and Willie Mays. And all those guys, and, and they were all alive. And now they are all gone but for Willie Mays. And, you know, and that's sad, but he really, he really did have just an amazing career. He had one of those careers, talking about Henry Aaron again, he had one of those careers that you could like divide it into two, and you have like two separate Hall of Fame careers. <laughs> you know, like, like Barry Bonds kind of has that, Ricky Henderson. You know, there's several players you can, yeah. you can almost make two Hall of Fame careers out of, out of what they did, and, and he's certainly one of them. Yeah, it's one of those things. I think I've said this every time we've talked about one of these legends in the last year that has passed, that it's always so incredible to see the impact that someone had on so many lives by the way that their story is told after they're gone. And it's, it it just is such a reminder of the impact that, that one person can have, not just because he was such a great baseball player, but because of all the people he interacted with and, and influenced over the course of that career. So big loss for the baseball world, of course, but a great opportunity to look back and remember some of those things, even if it's, 
you know, home runs hit against the Cardinals. But if anybody's going to do it, that is one legend that I'm not mad about having <laughs> at the top of that list. <laughs> Absolutely. So that is your chirp of the week. And I think that is enough complaining about the Cardinals for us this week. Alex, two weeks in a row, we have made it to the end of a podcast and um, there hasn't been that much to talk about. So kudos to us, I think, for finding a way to converse about the lack of action for the St. Louis Cardinals again. I don't know how many times we can do that same thing, but we'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks as we get towards some of those decisions about the start of spring training, the start of the regular season, and who can be there and who can't. So we'll be back to talk about all of that and hopefully do more than just talk about how bad the NL Central is as we go along. So for Alex, I'm Tara. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you again soon.